0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 5 of the Bible in a Lifetime podcast, where we take a deep dive into scripture, going verse by verse, using multiple translations to get some insights. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on patreon.com slash fullofgracetv, or for a one-time contribution, go to fullofgrace.tv give let's start where we left off after the wedding at cana at john chapter 2 verse 12 after this he went down to capernaum with his mother his brothers and his disciples and they remained there a few days the greek word adelphoi translated here as brothers has a broader meaning than just blood brothers and was used here for close relatives of jesus As we know, Mary remained a virgin, and so these relatives would not have been full brothers of Jesus. In fact, Scripture never calls these the children of Mary. And it is highly unlikely that if Mary had other children, that Jesus would entrust her to the Apostle John at the cross. And some of these so-called brothers are even named as children of another Mary. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says this, The Bible mentions brothers and sisters of Jesus, the Church has always understood these passages as not referring to other children of the Virgin Mary. In fact, James and Joseph, brothers of Jesus, are the sons of another Mary, a disciple of Christ, whom St. Matthew significantly calls the Other Mary. They are close relations of Jesus, according to an Old Testament expression. Jesus is Mary's only son, but her spiritual motherhood extends to all men whom indeed he came to save. The son whom she brought forth is he whom God placed as the firstborn among many brethren, that is, the faithful in whose generation and formation she cooperates with a mother's love. One thing is clear. From the earliest history of the Church's theological studies on Mary, from East to West, The church has maintained that Mary remained a virgin throughout her life. Let's continue reading. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. I like how some translations call the birds pigeons here, because it gives a clear connotation of what these birds were. They were the offering prescribed for the poor who could not afford cattle or sheep. It's the same Greek word used in Luke when describing what Mary and Joseph offered up in the temple. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the Law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And the same word we heard earlier about the Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. Isn't it interesting that God so identifies with the poor and downtrodden that the Holy Spirit is pictured in this way, a pigeon, an animal of poverty. We'll hear in a bit how Jesus directs himself specifically to those who were selling doves. But for now, we hear how Jesus, as an observant Jewish person, went up to the temple at Jerusalem for Passover a major Jewish holiday which celebrated the Israelites' escape from slavery. Jews from across the world would fill Jerusalem for these important holidays. So Jesus likewise enters the temple complex, and what he sees in the temple, where he expects the great peace of God, he is met with businessmen, movers and shakers, sellers and buyers, in the temple. The temple which was meant for the worship of God. The temple which was meant to be peaceful. A house of prayer for all nations. Yes, even for the non-Jewish Gentiles. After all, God is the father of us all. Jew and Gentile. So it's interesting to note that these cellars would have been set up in the outermost court. The court of the Gentiles. Where anyone could come in to pray and they set up their businesses to provide services for all the pilgrims who had arrived. The temple, which should have been filled with the sound of the prayers of the people and the ceremonial sounds of the sacrifices, was supposed to be an inviting place for even Gentiles to come through to worship the true God and experience his presence like nowhere else. But instead, it was filled with the sound of business dealings. Can you imagine that? Just think of the last time you went to an open market people haggling, sellers convincing you to buy something, and people distracted by all the stuff. All of this was in the temple, distracting the people from the true purpose of the temple, that is, to commune with God. It had become an obstacle for Gentiles, for the pilgrims' convenience. How often are we distracted from communing with God, especially during the holidays? Do we remember the meaning of it all? Have we, who are the new temples of God, since the Holy Spirit resides in us, have we made ourselves a marketplace instead of a house of God, selling our attention to various distractions or buying into things that distract us from prayer? Are we forgetting to honor our mind and bodies by filling it up with useless noise instead of nourishing our souls with constant contemplation of God? Or worse, are we the distraction itself for others? preventing others from coming to God because it's convenient for us, because it's easier to judge and condemn others, because it's easier to live in self-righteousness than to love our neighbor. In these verses we hear how the court of Gentiles was filled with business to make it more convenient for the Jewish pilgrims to offer their sacrifices at the expense of putting the Gentiles out, or at least making it less welcoming for them. I challenge us all today, whenever you're listening to this, to contemplate for a couple minutes this wonderful fact that we are truly temples of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is within us, and we should act like it. We have been sanctified, consecrated by God to be his presence in the world, like how the temple was in Jerusalem. So too are we meant to be little temples in our communities, spreading the love and holiness of God, giving ourselves and those whom we come in contact with an opportunity to find peace in Christ. Let us contemplate this. Let's continue reading. Making a whip of cords, he drove out all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Here I like how the Knox translation calls the money changers the bankers. I think that word is better understood to us, What the money changers were doing is changing foreign coins to the half-shekel coin needed for the temple tax, which was used to upkeep the temple, and to buy sacrificial animals. Since Jews came from across the world to Jerusalem, it was necessary for their coins to be exchanged. Let's continue reading. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Here we hear for the first time, Christ's relationship to the Father. He is indeed the Eternal Begotten Son, and the authority and mission of Christ is the Father's authority and mission. Jesus has shown through this action that he is the Lord of the Temple, and things are about to change. I think it's important that Jesus directs his words to the sellers of the doves or pigeons, those who sold to the poor their sacrificial animal. Even if they were not price-gouging, any amount of money was significant to the poor. And in God's temple, the poor were not supposed to become poorer just to worship God. In fact, the poor were supposed to be taken care of by the temple. Money should never be an obstacle to worshiping God. Well, here in a couple chapters, Jesus proclaimed that the time for a new kind of worship is here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Our worship of God is a gift from God. Because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Let's continue reading. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. This is a quote from Psalm 69, but John cleverly changes the tense of the verb from, it is zeal for your house that has consumed me, to future tense. Will consume me, because the consummation is at the cross, where Christ's zeal is on full display. I like how the New Living Translation uses the word passion here instead of zeal. Zeal sometimes feels too vague, but passion really gets the point across. This incident, the cleansing of the temple because of Christ's passion for his Father's house, foreshadows everything that we will hear Christ do throughout his ministry, culminating with his passion. Truly, his passionate love for the Father and his people consumes him to the point of death upon the cross, and we, his house, his people, are cleansed.